Welcome back to The Mentors, everybody. This is Vadim and Sergey. Oh, I got y'all. That was just Vadim both times. Sergey's not in the room with me right now. That's what's up. That's what's up, yeah. But we do sound the same, so it's a honest mistake, actually. As we edit these episodes, oftentimes I forget who said that insightful thing out there. And it's usually Sergey, but sometimes it's me. <laughs> uh... So yeah, I can't even tell the difference between our voices, so how can I expect you to know the difference? Actually, that reminds me of our dad who used to call us on the phone. I wonder if you all have this experience with your parents, if you have siblings that sound the same, where our dad would almost always get the wrong name as he was making the phone call. As a matter of fact, he would go through every single brother, and there's five of us total, before he got the right name. So it wasn't just because we sounded similar. I think it's just, I don't know, uh, maybe his heart was so full and he loved us all so much that he just wanted to say all of our names. Or maybe it's just like an automatic reflex or something. Who knows? But it was always funny. Anyways, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. We really love that you listen to the show. We really value that you tune in every time, whether you listen every week to our two episodes that we publish every week or this is the first time that you're listening or you pick it up once a month when you're feeling like it's relevant for you. We don't really care. As long as you're getting some value out of it, that's what matters most to both Sergey and I and that's why we're continue doing the show. And this is episode 102. So right now we're going to go back in time a little bit. If you remember, I was at South by Southwest EDU conference a few weeks ago. Actually, it was at the beginning of March at this point. And now it's April 1st as I'm recording this. And I ended up having an impromptu interview that was actually incredibly inspiring to me. Now, this was a gentleman that I had seen on stage just a few hours before I had the recording with him. And he was on stage in front of a few thousand people. And the reason why he stood out to me is he was actually on a panel along with David Brooks, who's obviously a famous author and New York Times columnist who was keynoting uh, the event. And afterwards, they had a panel. And I was like, what is this guy about? I got to talk to him. Now, I got a little bit of a story, of course, through the panel that he was on, but I wanted to dig into the details. And this story that you're about to hear is about this gentleman who, along with his friends from college, they went to Georgetown, and they decided to start a nonprofit right after college. They've been doing it for three years now, and as you'll hear throughout his story, it turned into so much more, and they have been able to have real impact. The reason why I thought it was important to share the story is because oftentimes we kind of go day by day chasing after something, chasing after money, chasing after success, fame, love, I mean, whatever it is, right? And so when you meet somebody that of course, has similar ambitions, probably. I mean, we all do, but also was able to take a step back and actually focus on the problem, which, of course, as you'll hear, was really personal to him. It's inspiring because you realize that fulfillment can come from working to actually find a real solution for some problem that exists and not just chasing money, not just chasing that success, chasing solving the problem, having that be the ultimate motivator that makes you get up in the morning, that makes you want to do the work that actually excites you, that gets you through the difficult moments. And so as you're going about your week, as you're thinking about your own business, as you're thinking about whatever creation you're bringing into this world, consider this. 
Do you care about what you're doing? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Do you do it because you want to do it? And are you solving a real problem? Now, that last bit, of course, is more so, I think, to have an external motivation behind what you do. Oftentimes, if we're tackling a really big problem, that is one of those things that help us get out in the morning. It actually doesn't quite really matter, I don't think, the reasons behind what you spend your time on. But you do have to want to do it. And you have to be honest with yourself if the reasons why you're working towards something aren't self-motivated. And I actually sense this from a a lot of entrepreneurs that I meet is that they're doing things because they think they should be doing them or because they think they need to be doing them in that way. Oftentimes, if I'm coaching somebody or advising somebody or just talking through their issues, I ask a very simple question when they tell me that they have to do something. I say, why? I just ask why. And so sometimes you just have to ask yourself why. I certainly have to ask myself why on a daily basis. But it's a healthy thing to do, to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? Why should I do this? Why do I want to do this? And then hopefully correcting course in a way that's more productive and actually gets you closer to whatever outcome that you're trying to attain. Please enjoy this episode with Darius Baxter of Good Projects. Welcome back to The Mentors. We have Darius Baxter today on the show. And actually, I met Darius, or I should say it was a one-dimensional meeting. I saw you on a stage in front <laughs> no, of 2,000 people. hearts connected. I felt you in the audience. Did you? Okay. Yeah. We made a little eye contact. Uh, I loved your glasses right away. He's wearing blue sunglasses. And, um, Would you believe? These are prescription, though. Like, are they really? Nobody believes So you that. have to see the whole world in blue all the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when you were on stage over there, just to give you guys a little bit of context, uh, Darius was in front of 2,000 people. You found out about this about a week ago from David Brooks, who was also on the panel, yes. right? And he's a partner of yours, or he works with you in, in what no, capacity? so David and I met um, at this point, it was probably about three years ago. Mm-hmm. He wrote a column in the New York Times about this organization in D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hesitant to even call him an organization. It was literally depicting this guy named David Simpson, mm-hmm. who had opened his home to all of the kids in the neighborhood, and they had dinners every Thursday. Wow. And I'm huge on like transformational energy so I read the, wasn't even worried about David Brooks but read this article and was like I gotta meet this David Simpson guy mm-hmm. find his uh, his website online email him like hey I wanna come to dinner he's like come on out I would've cause I was really hyped about this mm-hmm. I would've thought hundreds of people would be emailing this man to come to dinner Yeah, but it was a table of maybe like 12 of us 10 of which were kids and David Brooks and his wife were there um, so we connected at that um, at dinner that night and just have stayed in contact over the years. Wow, that's incredible, actually. That's a great story, though, because so many people think that people at the top are not accessible. Yeah. But it's actually lonely at the top, first of all. And second of all, people always love connecting with others that have a passion and a drive and are working on interesting things. So people are more accessible than you think. Yeah, very much so. Um, and so you got an a invite to come to South by Southwest EDU about a week ago. You didn't know you were going to be in front of 2,000 people. You found out when? So they sent out the invite. I'll give it. They sent out the invite uh, about a month ago saying, hey, we're going to be doing a panel at South by. Mm-hmm. And I've done events with David over the last few years, much smaller ones. I'm like, okay, we'll be doing something off uh, off-site. It'll be something small. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until about a week ago that a press release came out. Mm-hmm. And Twitter actually notified me that I was going to be keynoting South really? by Southwest. Twitter. That's great. That's a great way to find out. <laughs> so I said, okay, mm. <laughs> here we are. Wow. Uh, well, first of all, great that you said yes to this. Somebody else might be intimidated and yeah. would have thought, wow, last minute, really? I need to prepare. 
Uh, but more importantly, this is how things come together. You were at the keynote that opened up the whole event. Yes. And part of it is they probably thought, you know, this gentleman is working on a great project. It's going to be great to have his voice there. So, right when you started talking, by the way, on stage, I was like, wow, he's super comfortable in front of all these people. Like, <laughs> Thanks, I don't man. know if you just got into the headspace or what. So you look great. Um, but let's talk about Good Project, which you've yeah. been working on actually only for a few years, right? Three years? Yeah, three years. January 2016 is when we got started. So. And it sounds like now you tell us the backstory of why you started this organization, but it started as a nonprofit. Now uh, it's a combination of nonprofit, for profit. Yeah. You already have 25 people that yeah. are working in it, but you're 25 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how did you come to start this organization uh, at all, and what's sort of the mission behind it? Uh, it really, it, it was it wasn't started out to be an organization. Hmm. Uh, it was me and two of my college buddies who I was playing football with. We all went to Georgetown together, and. Uh, their names are Danny and Troy, and we just came together, and it was like, hey, like, what do we want to do after college? And we reflected on our childhoods. Um, I talked a little bit about it on the panel this morning, but I'm the product of, uh, of trauma as a child. My father was tragically killed when I was nine, and from that I experienced the entire gamut of what poverty looked like. Um, so here I was now approaching senior year, and similar stories with Danny and Troy, where one's father was a drug kingpin, spent time in jail, the other's parents had when they were 14 years old. And it's like, wow, like, we've made it here. We're the exception to the rule. Like, we're three guys, same exact age, coming from the same exact city, about to graduate from one of the top universities in the country. Do we go to Wall Street and make a lot of money, or do we go back to our community and try to make a difference? We chose to go back to the community and make a difference. That's why I'm sitting here with you today. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm glad that you made that choice, by the way, because so many people, once there's a, a nice paycheck in front of them, they're likely to jump on it because yeah. it is the easy thing to do. You went to a top school. Clearly, there were opportunities for you to do that. But you wanted to make an impact because we only live once. So talk about the early days. There's three of you guys. You're yeah. from the same town. All three of you ended up in Georgetown. You go back to your community. How did you guys get started? You're the chief executive, right? Um, I like to go by the title chief engagement officer. Chief engagement officer, okay. <laughs> but you're uh, obviously leadership as well. But how did you, first of all, decide who's going to lead this thing? Yeah. Uh, but also what were kind of the initial steps to getting started? One of my co-founders came home one day. We had been talking about it for about two or three weeks. And he comes home with the filing documents. He had surprised everybody and went down. <laughs> like the <laughs> oh, he, he filed the, 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 the corporation or the, the nonprofit. Okay. Yeah, it's actually a lot easier than people think. It you is. Know, to start a company. Uh, yeah. you, he, at the time, I think it was like 250 bucks to file mm-hmm. the document. We didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So his aunt <laughs> fronted the $250. Your first donor, his aunt, perfect. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so she's still with us to this day. She sits on our board. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, but as far as the leadership piece, honestly, we took a vote, man, like like most things. Mm. There's three of us, so it's Mm -hmm. always going to be all, man. I was like, yo, who's going to be the executive director of this thing? And Mm. by the grace of God, my my two co-founders had enough faith in me to lead this ship, and I stand here three years later. Um, and we're continuing to grow. So so talk about sort of the, the primary work that you guys do and what you've been able to accomplish, uh, kind of the highlights of what you've been able to accomplish over the last three years. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, we didn't set out to start an organization. It was really to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't even, all right, we have to do this as a nonprofit or we can do this as a for-profit. It's let's solve problems and whatever mechanism we can use to do that, 
let's do it. Mm-hmm. The first problem that we wanted to solve was this issue of gun violence in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, homicides had spiked by about 54% in the summer of 2015, the year before we started. Mm-hmm. So we knew going into the summer of 2016 we had to do something about that. And we did it exceptionally well with the area we were working in had zero gun-related crimes over the summer that we were working there. How did you do it? Uh, <laughs> intentional programming. Mm-hmm. So saying that we looked at the numbers and said, okay, these are the young people that are most likely to either be the victims or the perpetrators of these crimes. Mm. What can we do for them? Just looking at it very black and white. We said, we, let's occupy their time in the best way that we can. And we said, okay, let's do a summer camp. Let's get them in the door. And for the kids that are eligible for the camp, we'll put them in it. For those that are a little older, let's make them the counselors and let's put money in their pocket. Mm. Uh, and we saw tremendous outcomes over the course of that summer. How did you make people aware that your program existed so that they would actually take advantage of the opportunity. That's a, that's a funny story, actually. So obviously we didn't have uh, a budget for marketing. Uh, and at the same time, we knew I don't know, who we thought we were. We had so much confidence in ourselves. We knew we were going to run a kick-ass program. Mm-hmm. And we were like, man, we're going to do this awesome program. We don't want kids from outside of the neighborhood coming. So we're not going to do any social media marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're literally just going to go knock on doors in the neighborhood. And mind just like a week out before camp. Like we wow. spent all this time planning the camp. We forgot to start <laughs> inviting people in. That's actually great <laughs> that you bring that up because a lot of people will create the product mm-hmm. but not do the awareness and marketing work, which is harder. Yeah. Knocking on doors is hard. But that's what you did? You went door to door? We went door to door in the community. And the first day, 200 kids showed up to camp. Wow. That's when we knew we were on to something. Now, obviously, this takes money. You said you were paying uh, counselors. Did you guys already raise some money at this point? You mentioned before we talked, you have now you have billionaire donors. <laughs> but uh, yeah. how, how did it work for the first time around? Uh, the first time around, it really was just partnerships, man. Okay. But we, we went through a program in Georgetown when we first had the idea. And one of the key principles that they were teaching us, that was through Georgetown's business school, was this idea of a lean startup. Mm. And when you're starting out, don't bring on a bunch of unneeded costs. Right. And we really took that and really put it on steroids where we went out and got about $290,000 in in-kind donations. So we got the facility donated. We had the Department of Employment Services for D.C. to work with us, and they actually paid the salaries for our counselors. The food got donated, transportation for field trips, field trips themselves. Like all of these different things ended up getting funded Hmm. through our partners, and we've continued to use that model as we've scaled. How were you guys able to support yourselves, though? Because, I mean, you, you gave up At that first, Wall Street paycheck, yeah. Oh, we weren't. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my partner, Troy, would be the first one to tell you. He was actually living in his car at the time. Wow. Uh, when we first got started. Um, and then there was also, it was like, Georgetown probably hate this part of the story. There was this dorm room on campus the door was open to, and one of our roommates had kind of overstayed. Mm. So we all just kind of piled in that for a few weeks until wow. that ran out. Uh, but one of our advisors got wind that we were homeless. <laughs> so, so she actually connected us with, uh, with WeWork. I don't know if you've heard of, of that. Of course, yeah. Um, and they were starting this new concept called We Live. Right. And she told them our sob story and how we were trying to do these things. Mm. So they deferred our rent payment for like three months. And we're like, we really believe in you guys. We'll give you three months. When you get funded, pay your rent. But until then, don't stress about it. Go do your summer program. That's incredible. Well, clearly you guys had a impactful message. But along yeah. with the fact that you right off the bat had 200 students interested in this, you were solving real problems. Yeah. I think that's why you were able to get these in-kind donations, these other folks uh, on board with funding you in the beginning. But how did you guys grow after that? What was after that first summer camp program? What was the next step for you? 
Uh, it was definitely a low. It was a period where we had went all in on the summer program. Again, we didn't set out to start a business. We didn't set out to start an organization. It's like, let's solve problems. Mm. And it really wasn't until camp was over that we kind of look up and say, oh, shoot, like, we have to go do something else now. Um, and I, the best advice I can give to anybody in those situations, just be patient and it'll come. And it seemed like almost like a stroke of luck, the universe sent a Twitter message. And it was the mayor's piloting this, or the mayor wants to pilot this juvenile mentorship program. Mm -hmm. And my co-founders and I had done a lot of work in the juvenile justice space um, in college mm -hmm. and had like fallen in love with the space and the youth in it. And we were completely underqualified to go after this. It was a half a million dollars on the line. Mm -hmm. All we really had on our resume was this five-week summer camp. Our office was my apartment that we live in and lived yeah. out to us. It's a 650-square-foot apartment. Um, but we went for it. And long story short, about six weeks later, we had our first government grant for a half a million dollars, and we were about two months out of school. Six weeks later, from a tweet that you saw. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So you got this grant, and obviously then you just had to get to work, and I'm assuming you hired some people and started executing. Yeah, had to staff up quick. Yeah. I had to learn a lot right there. At the time, we were just a group of guys running off the passion. Um, we had our filing documents and everything, mm -hmm. but not real systems put together. But now we were, had this big chunk of money. We had a staff. Um, we were actually given an office at that point, mm -hmm. and we had to get mature really quick. You know, we talked a little bit about, like, earlier just being, like, a 25-year-old social impact leader and the responsibilities that I feel. Like, I can't do the things that my peers do. Like, I can't go on wild vacations and post things on Instagram, like, look at me with all these ladies. Like, that's not the life that I can live. Right. And I've had this burden since I was about 21 years old at this point. Um, but it's a burden I love to bear because there's so many blessings that come along with it. Oh, no, I was talking to Darius earlier, and, you know, we mentioned that a lot of people don't get opportunities like this ever in their life, but certainly not till they're older yeah. and a little bit more experienced. And there are some drawbacks, obviously. There's trade-offs always, but uh, you have to take advantage of the opportunity when it comes. Certainly. Also, I promise I'll buy your beer later without any selfies. So. Hey, where are we going? <laughs> we'll figure that out. There's a happy hour events all week. Um, but I wanted to ask you because... Before we started this interview, you mentioned that towards the end of 2018, you started hitting kind of the proverbial hockey stick. In other words, uh, fast growth uh, and a lot more opportunities, it sounds like. I mean, yeah. it got you to this event. How did that come about? And what do you think contributed to that hockey stick moment? Honestly, I, I, can't, really, I can't really pinpoint one thing. It's like this was the thing that got us to this point. Uh, in 2018, right around April, um, we we were confident enough to host our first fundraising gala. Mm -hmm. We felt like we could garner enough support. And I think that was really one of the starts of the Catalyst, where we had about 350 people in the room. Mm -hmm. um, this was the second year of our program. Everyone was amazed there. And one of our funders got up, and we just talked a little bit about the investment fund that we have. Um, that wasn't intentional. He got up in the middle of this nonprofit fundraising gala and said, I love the work that these guys are doing. I've had enough conversations with them to know their vision to end poverty in this community. I'm going to invest a million dollars in a fund that I want to see for them. Um, and from there, obviously now everybody's wondering, what are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? And we've just continued to keep our heads down and do the work. 
And from that, all these other opportunities have presented themselves. You have to do the work because when you're out there, I mean, even at events like this where yep. there's thousands of people, that's when opportunities come out of nowhere. It seems like it's out of nowhere, but you're actually out there doing the work. Certainly. I was just walking by and you stopped me like, yo, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Exactly. And I saw him on stage. That's why. Yeah. And also the shades. I mean, yeah. I was not going to miss you. <laughs> they're not shades, man. They're glasses. Sorry, they're prescription glasses. <laughs> they're not you. shades. Um, no, man. It's just having an attitude of yes, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, to be completely honest, you know, in this generation, um, we are the instant, 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 instant generation. Mm. And a lot of times young people will get frustrated, like, why isn't this happening to me? Why isn't that happening to me? But I'm a believer. You know, I, it, like, God, that's my homeboy. Like, yeah. me and Jesus, you know, we got a group chat together. <laughs> and you realize, like, in any given day, there's so many blessings that are presented. Like, in a day like this, this is a really big blessing. You oh, know, yeah. it's one that's immediately obvious. Like, I got to sit on a stage, and maybe Michelle Obama saw me speak this morning. Right, right, right. Um, but even something as little as this, like, somebody stops me walking by and say, hey, man, I think you did a really good job. It's a blessing to be able to have talked to you. Absolutely. Like, I saw that as an opportunity. Like, oh, my gosh, yeah, thanks, man. Like, and your story you. is so uh, unique as well uh, that, uh, you know, I hope that what our audience can take away from it is, if you're interested in solving a particular problem that yeah. you're passionate about because of your story, because it has impacted you, whatever it is, you're incentivized and motivated to do it, you have to get out there and figure out how to solve it. For you guys, it meant knocking on doors. Yeah. It meant finding those in-kind partnerships, eventually growing to this stage where who knows what the impact is going to continue to be. Yeah. But you are interested and motivated to start it, and so you have to keep pushing forward. But actually something you mentioned is uh, – you know, sometimes you have to sit down and kind of ignore distractions, or at least that's what I got from it, mm-hmm. and actually do the work. How do you do that? I mean, because events like this are super exciting. There's a lot going on, but yeah. you actually have to execute on the business and the initiative. That's, and for me, I'm I'm a little I'm a little spoiled in the sense that I have two co-founders that do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, Troy, he handles operations and does an amazing job at that. Where that's a stress already taken off my back, so I don't have right. to think about our programs going today. I don't have to call 50 million people. My other partner, Danny, uh, he's essentially like my personal advisor and handles our finances. So financially, I don't have to worry about, okay, our light's going to stay on today. Mm -hmm. And then even when I'm in spaces like this or having ideas, I can bounce them off him like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm having conversations with him every day. Like I called him immediately after the panel. He didn't (laughs) answer the phone, but you know, I'm like, yo, like I want to know, like, how'd I do? What can I improve on? For any young entrepreneur out there, I'll just say, just get a team. Because the role even that I sit in to go to spaces like this and share the word is necessary. Right. And every organization needs people doing every little thing. If everybody, it's like the Spurs method, like in the Patriots. Like if everybody just does their job, then you're going to be successful. That's a very good point. It sounds like you're lucky to have your co-founders to uh, literally capitalize on their own strengths yeah. and keep the ship moving forward while you're at the helm uh, trying to spread the word and continue growing this. And then so the last question I have, you know, the show is called The Mentors. Who would you say has been a pivotal mentor for you in your life? I mean, obviously, at this age, you can't know. Really, at any age, you can't know how to do everything. And so who has been somebody that you kind of go to when you have problems? I say my very first mentor was my brother. Mm. Uh, I don't think he realized it at the time. But after my father died, I didn't have anyone I could really turn to. I'm nine years old at the time, and he probably didn't want the pressure. He's 10. (laughs) But he became sort of that father figure for me. And I always looked up to him. 
he called me. He did answer the phone. Yeah. Right after the panel, he called me and was going from line to line, point to point. This wow. is what you need to improve on. This is what you did well. Keep doing this. Everything from my outfit has always been somebody in my life that's kept it real. And I know it's always coming from a place of love. Mm. So I say my brother has been the biggest mentor for me. Oh, I mean, people that are the closest to you sometimes can be the best source of mentorship, I think, because you can be sincere. Yeah. You can be open, and he can also tell you, hey, you messed up, you know, or you were you should have been wearing something else. He can give you that yeah. transparent advice, and that's that's uh, usually good to go to as well. Certainly. Well, Darius Baxter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank your you. story is incredible. Good project. Where can people find you? Just go into your Google browser, and you type in Good Projects. will be the first thing there, but the website is just goodprojects.org. Goodprojects.org. Now, are you guys still primarily focused on D.C.? Um, only focused on D.C. Got it. That is, our, that is our sole focus right now. We're looking to create a model in D.C. that can be adapted for the rest of the country and even the rest of the world. But going back to the point, we're doing the work, and we're not worried about, all right, are we going to have this national brand right now we're focused on doing the work in dc that is actually a great spot to end on i think too many people worry about scaling before they even have anything figured out in order to scale something you have to have that something you have to have the process done you have to have the people in place you have to know what you're actually going to replicate Mm -hmm. and then you can replicate it if it seems like it's a model that worked and obviously if you go to other cities there's going to be different nuances as well that you'll have to keep in mind but you guys are in year three looks like you already have a ton of momentum i hope to see you guys in many cities and continuing to create impact if god will have us man but here i stand today you know absolutely thanks a lot darius thanks man awesome that was great thanks